0: The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. So I want to illustrate this with a story that occurred in Leipzig in Germany. Leipzig, as you know, is in the center of Germany. And it was considered one of the most uh, uh, appealing and attractive and lucrative sources of livelihood for many Jews. Because in Leipzig, every year, there were big Yirids. Yurids are like uh, big thoroughfares and marketplaces. Today they call them business shows, where vendors from all over the continent and all over Europe and many other countries, even far down Eastern Europe, they came from the West, they came from the East. This was a central place. They called it in Yiddish, yurid. Vendors would come and display all of their various materials and merchandises and possible uh, buyers, clients, would come also from all over Europe to purchase. And that's how many, many people earned their revenue. They would go back to their local cities and become local distributors, or however they worked it out. So this was a very lucrative... uh, There was a lot of potential here. So Leipzig became a very famous attraction. The city was was a non-Jewish city, mostly non-Jews. But Jews lived there, like in many German cities. And uh, Jews would come for the Yerid in Leipzig. There was a man named Rebdoiv Eisenman, Betel Eisenman. Betel Eisenman dealt with uh, materials, fabric, various types of fabric from which they would make various uh, clothes and garments. And he would go every year to the Yiddish in Leipzig and he would purchase various, various diverse fabrics which he would then bring home, sell, develop, and he made a very, very comfortable living from it. One year, he fell ill and he had a surgery. This is in the 1800s, the 19th century. And he could not go to Leipzig. But this was very important. So he decided to send his wife. Chanaleya was her name. Chanaleya Eisenman never went to Leipzig. She would stay home, her husband took care of it, but there was no choice. He had nobody else to send, so he spoke to her about it and she said, I'll go. But she didn't have any experience, so he prepped her. You know, he described what Leipzig looks like and what happens and how the Uriah takes place, and it continues for a few weeks. And you go from vendor to vendor, and he gave her a list of all the connections he has. He knew all their names, so before telephones, he couldn't give the WhatsApp clip or the telephone number, but he gave... A list of the clients that he deals with, the sacharim, the merchants, the vendors, and he explained to her how you know how you do it, and what you're looking for, and this person provides this type of uh, material, and this person uh, 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 provides this type. They called it livent, regim different materials, different fabrics. She, she took the journey a little with trepidation, with hesitation. But this was the least she can do to be able to make sure that they stay afloat and her husband would make the revenue that he needed. He also gave her the money that he made from last year to be able to pay for everything. Before you come back, you have to pay. She comes to Leipzig, and she stayed in the hotel where her husband used to stay. They never met her, but they were happy to see her. When she introduced herself, she got her room. and the beginning of the year, she went out to the marketplace, to the thoroughfare, to the show, to be able to begin all of the handling and wheeling and dealing and purchasing, she made sure she had the money. He gave her basically banknoten. It was uh, it was the documents, what you would call was basically you know bills, and uh, they were all wrapped up in a in a string together. It was a big pile that she kept in the hotel, and she went to begin to examine everything that's available. And she started to go from vendor to vendor. She introduced herself and she got a very warm reception even though they were expecting Beryl or her husband to come, but she explained the situation and they were very happy to assist her just as they were very happy to assist him. He was a really, really good and consistent and stable and reliable and trustworthy client. They even told her she could take any material she wants. She doesn't have to pay right now. At the end of the year, she could come before she goes home and pay up as she wants, in other words, she could put away her stuff without paying, put them on the side and pick them up later, and she does she could pay only at the end, because they trusted her husband, they trusted her. And, to her very positive, uh, f- uh, she didn't expect such Hatzlacha, within a few days, two or three days, she was done. She got everything she needed, she really, really did much better than she expected, and, it was extremely, extremely successful. Gavaldik, Baruch Hashem. She even managed to do better than her husband. We wouldn't expect otherwise, right? She found new vendors. She found somebody who was developing a whole new type of and a whole new type of fabric and material, which she thought would be very promising, and she got a great price on a great quantity of fabric, and she created a connection with him in order to be able to get the merchandise she was really excited she didn't have to stay there for two, three weeks. A few days was enough. And she finally made her last journey to the Yrit in order to pay up and in order to collect and retrieve all the merchandise and bring it home and begin a new year of success. She comes to the first store, to the first vendor, and she collects all the material that she put aside already for herself and he thanks her and she thanks him and she puts her pocket into her pocket puts her hand into her pocketbook to take out the money it's not there so she looks it's not there she looks everywhere maybe another pocket she put it in another pocket it's not there she almost faints the entire stack of cash was one stack all bound up together it's gone She was about to faint. She found a chair. She sat down. What happened? What happened? He asked her. And she told him. She was pale. And he calmed her down. He said, okay, don't worry. We'll look for it. And worst comes to worst. If you don't find it, you could take the material home. We trust your husband. Been doing business with him for years. He'll send the money afterwards. But she knew that he didn't have any more money. This was the money. he didn't have any more money. She would come home without this. He didn't have money to pay for the material. She wouldn't be able to take the material. He would be in debt, and he was sick, and she felt horrible, first of all, the loss of money and also the horrible disappointment for herself and for her husband and for their source of revenue. and you know, and he sent her on this mission the first time, and she goes and she thinks she's successful, and she loses the money. She runs back to the hotel, thinking. Maybe she forgot it in a drawer, she forgot it in the room, you know how it is people are people. She searches everywhere, her bed and the drawers and the closets, under the bed, off the bed, under the pillow, inside the pillow, Hayela De Nenu, the money is gone. Did somebody break into the room and steal the money? Is there a window broken? Did somebody pick the lock? She finds no signs of thievery. What happened? And then she realizes that her pocketbook on the bottom tore. And there was a hole, and she understood that probably as she was walking in the Yirid at some point, the whole stack, the whole pile of money was wrapped up with a string. It fell out, just fell out from that hole. It slipped down, and that was it. She had not a single franc left or a single ruble left, whatever the currency that she used. I assume a franc, a mark, a franc, euro. (laughs) Vostutman, the vendors heard the Maisa and they comforted her. They said, again, we trust you. You could take everything home so he could begin working and he'll send the money. But she was just sobbing. She was beside herself because she knew the Matzev. She knew that this was the cash they had and there was nothing else. tutman. there's nothing to do. Leipzig was a very big city. The it had thousands of people, and mostly not Jews. It wasn't just a little shul. This is Leipzig. Leipzig was a it was univ- It was world renowned. The whole world would come. Also Jews, but mostly Leipzig was a German city. This means somebody found the money. They found the money, and what do they do with the money? <laughs> they take it. But Fart, the person wants to hope. <laughs> she didn't have much hope because. It was- A Gentile is going to find the money, he's going to take it. But she thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe she's lucky, and maybe a Jew found the money. And maybe Nachan Er Lechid. So she put up signs all over the Jewish community centers, the centers of the Jewish community in Leipzig. She put up signs that she lost a huge amount of cash and if anybody, anybody happened to find it, if they could please get in touch with her. The miracle happened. There was a Jew in Leipzig. His name was Johannesen Bergelovitz. He was walking in the Yerid, and he found a huge stack of cash. He told his friends, he said, I found an unbelievable amount of money. He found it. He told his friends. <laughs> then they see signs. Somebody lost it. Rumor had it. You know it is Havre Havre. Jewish news travels fast. It gets back to Hanalaya. A Jew, Yonis and Berglovitz, found the money. He didn't keep it a secret. She ran to him. She found out where he was. She ran to him. And she said, You found a lot of money? Yeah. It looks like this, and like this, and like this, and like this. Here is this sim and that sim and The string was tied like this. It was this color. This is how, she knew how much money there was. This is how they were organized. This is the exact number. She gave all the him, exactly how much, how they were organized, the type of string that they were wrapped up in and tied. She gave the identifying signs. And he said, yeah, that was it. Oh was she excited and she expected he's going to take the money and do the mitzvah of and give it back to her and the story will come to a happy ending and she'll go home He looked at her and he said, listen I'm not giving you back this money she says, why, it's mine he says, it used to be yours it's not yours it used to be yours. I know it used to be yours. She said, but I gave you the signs. There are some on them. He says, wait, wait, wait. Leipzig is a city of mostly Jews or non Jews? Mostly non Jews. Now be honest with me, Mrs. Eisenman. When you dropped the money and you found out that you dropped the money, did you hope, <laughs> did you believe that you're going to get it back? Tell me the truth. <laughs> She says to him, I didn't hope, I didn't know that I'm gonna, I didn't, I, I, I hoped against all odds that somebody will find it, but you found it. Give it back to me. He says, the halacha is that ir sheruba nachrem, a city, that the majority of the city are people who are not obligated in Ashavas Aveda, and you lose something, naturally you give up, even if, like always, people have hope against all odds, and therefore, even though, if I want to go beyond the letter of the law, he says, I desperately need the money. This money came to me, halachically, it's mine. She started to scream, I understand. She said, I can't understand how you do this to somebody. You know that it's mine. You know that I lost it. I gave you this money, and you're not even denying it. This is my blood, this is our sweat, this is our tears. He was stubborn. He said, I'm sorry, I'm not obligated to give you the money. You lost it, there was Yush." He says, you know what, let's go to the rabbi. It happens to be that in Leipzig at the time, you had one of the biggest rabbis of the generation, the Rav of Kovna. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak Elchanan Specter. Famous Rabbitsa Kalchanan specter, known as Rabbitsa Kalchanan. He was from Kovna, Lithuania, and he was in Leipzig. He passed away, Tafresh Nunvav, around 1896. So this is before. As I said, it was the 1800s. And he was in Leipzig. They said, let's go to the Kovner. Rabbitsa Kalchanan was one of the greatest halachic authorities of his times. He was very, very, he was world renowned both for his leadership and his wisdom and his integrity. He was a really, he was a giant of, he was a spiritual giant. So she was happy to go to Rebiz HaKalchanan, and they go. He thought, it's a no-brainer, as painful as it is, technically, he won. They go to Rebiz HaKalchanan, she shares her side of the story, he shares his side of the story, and he says, Rebbe, explain to the woman, explain to the woman, that halachically and legally I am not obligated to give back the money. It's a city with mostly Gentiles. The hope that she's going to get it back and a Jew is going to find it and return it to her was so slim and the halacha acknowledges that and therefore there was Yush, and I can have the money. Tell it to her. Rabbi Yitzhak thinks for a moment <laughs> and to this guy's Horror or dismay, he says, Chanaleya is right. It's her money. He says, Yeah, but why? So this is what he said. He said, Whose money is this? Her husband gave her the money and appointed her as his shliach to do the, this is his business. He runs it. He's sick. So he asked his wife to be his shliach and to represent him, and he gave her the money, he runs the business, he takes care of the money, he gave it to her to go and buy the material and bring back the material. Now I want to ask you a question. Let's say you lose something, you lose something, you lose your sweater, and I despair, <laughs> I have yish, is that called yush? No, if you lost a sweater... And you say, you know, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. I'm not giving up. And I say, no, you're not going to find it. That's. Not, I can't be zich for you. It's your money. So Bitzchak Khanan says, even if she disappeared, it's not her money to disappear. She was meyayish. She gave up. It's not hers. She gave up. Her husband never gave up. The guy says, well, her husband would have given up. Yehushalayim Das, Da'loch is like, Abayah, you remember? He lived, let's say he lived in Russia, wherever he lived. He didn't know what happened. Again, this is before WhatsApp. If it was after WhatsApp, she would have sent him a message and he would have also been Aish. But this story happened before WhatsApp. So he never found out what happened. If he would have learned that his wife dropped the money in Leipzig, he may have also disappeared. Yush, But he never found out about it. So it's called Yiyush Midas. Abayah says, it's not Yish. She can't disappear because it's not hers to disappear on. She has a right to use the money and buy material. That's called a shliach. I trust you with a mission. But it's his money. I can't disappear for your money. He never disappeared, Yiyush Midas. And there's some There was no yish. Kanalaya went out of Rebitz Khanan's room with all the money. But you, so you hear, we, you hear we did this? You know, it's very easy to say, Yiyush, Yiyush, I'm sorry. You know, he would have been a nice row. He would say, give her 50%. Maybe he would take out some money from his own pocket. But he really went back to the core. And he said, I can't be zechmeyayish on your money. Sorry. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> she has certain rights, yeah? Not for Yehush? He never had Yehush? There's some on him. you got to give it back. This story was shared by Rabbi Yeruchim Leibovitch. Rabbi Yeruchim Who was the famous mashgiach of the mirror yeshiva before the Second World War. He's known as Rabbi Yeruchim. Rabbi Ruchim was the spiritual mentor in the famous mirror yeshiva in Lithuania. Not too far from Kovna. He passed away nineteen thirty six. He was succeeded by Reb Levinstein. Reb would share the story with the students, with the students. And when he would conclude the story, he would tell them this: he would say, "Do you see how this is a story about everybody's life? Because one of the most common." And painful experiences in life is what's called yush. People despair. Despair comes in many different forms. But the common denominator of despair is, I become dejected. I become depleted. I, re- I resign. It's a feeling of surrender. As somebody once said, a poet once said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. People pick up their hands and say, Jesus you know? Sometimes it's a communal issue. They say, go fight City Hall. <laughs> go deal. This is how it is. This is how it always was. Go home and deal with your own stuff. You're not going to change a thing. Sometimes it's despair for people's marriages. You know, this is who, <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with. Shine. Done. Sometimes it's despair with people's children. Sometimes it's despair with other elements, emotional, psychological, spiritual, financial. But there is this inner sense of Yiyush. I give up. And the Biruchim would turn to his students and say, Chanaleya was a shliach of her husband. He gave her the money and he said, Please buy the material and bring it back. She couldn't despair over the money. You know why? It wasn't hers. It's like you lost a sweater and I'm despairing. You lost a necklace and I'm despairing. It's not mine. He said, Each and every one of us is a shliach of Hashem to this world. She felt responsible, but she couldn't have Yiyush. <laughs> it wasn't part of the option. <laughs> I gave you the money to make, to, uh, to handle. I didn't give you the money to despair over it. So he says, the Rebbeinah Shalaylam appointed every single soul as his personal shliach. The Gemara says in Kiddushin, shal adam the, When I send a shliach, when I send an emissary, they are my ambassador and they represent the person who sent them. The shliach can achieve things on behalf of the one who sent them because you represent the one who sent you when you're doing their mission. So shluchai shaladam is also k'maysay. When Hashem appoints every Nisham and every guf, every person's life as His shluchim in this world, you represent the Rebbeinah I have His money, so to speak, His body, His soul, His resources, His wisdom, His creativity. The soul is a chelik ele What do we say in Slichis? Ha neshama v'ha The soul is yours and the body is yours. And he gives me the materials and he says, go on a shlichus, light up the world, bring light into the world. And then I come there and I say, Oy, I lost my money, I made mistakes, I have holes in my pocketbook, I have holes in my marriage, I have holes in my psyche, I have holes in my life, I have holes in my self-esteem, I have holes in my happiness, I have holes everywhere. I lost my money, I lost my resources, and what's the next step? I give up. Yush. whoopsie. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I'm not giving up. <laughs> exactly. Even the phone, huh? Rabbi Yuchim said, your calculations may be, some of them may be very accurate, and you have interesting ideas, and there was a hole in the pocketbook, and Leipzig is a very big city, and there's a lot of challenges. He says, it's not yours to give up on. It's divine. It's Hashem's. It's not yours to give up on. It was given to you in order to be able to utilize it and maximize it. So is when a person says, I give up on myself. I give up on my happiness. I give up on my future. I give up on my success. I give up on actualizing after the class will soon be finished. I give up on my on my ability to actualize my potential. I give up on my ability of physical, spiritual, emotional success. I give up on the ability to be able to live life to the fullest and enjoy a truly meaningful and inspiring and rich life. I give up on it. And I have good reasons. Yabiruchim told his students, <laughs> the calculations, the chashboinahs, maybe some of them are accurate. Maybe some of them are inaccurate. Maybe I know all the facts. Maybe I don't know all the facts. He says, but this is what you have to remember. You're an ambassador of Hashem. It's his life. It's his soul. It's his body. And in that sense, he says, I don't give up. He never gave up. <laughs> he doesn't get, He's not afraid of holes. He's not afraid of mistakes. He's not afraid of things getting lost. He says it can be restored. Hashiv Teshivim. I, the person, thinks I'm an ox. I'm a sheep. I'm a donkey. <laughs> different features, different qualities. I have an animal soul that's an ox. I have an animal soul that's a donkey. The Gemara says, <laughs> We spoke last week about the donkeys. Donkeys are cold even in July and August. <laughs> I'm a sheep. I'm meek, I'm docile. You know what they mean, Ashefela in Yiddish? Ashepsela, Ashefela. I'm meek, I'm docile, I'm submissive, I'm spineless. Or I'm an ox, I'm brazen, I'm aggressive, don't start up with me. You see the difference? One is fight, one is flight, one is freeze, one is fawn. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever the response is, and it's lost. I'm lost, the ox is lost. The sheep is lost. The donkey is lost. The cloak is lost. Shem says, I'm not afraid of it. I never gave up. There's a shavasaveda. As long as you don't lose sight of the simen. There's always a simen that shows you that it belongs to me. There's always a simen. My imprint is there. As long as you can be able to look into yourself and identify who is the owner. As long as you can always know and remember and have this conviction that your core is absolutely divine and your life is divine. And even if there's parts that are lost and parts that got torn and things I love. But there's a simon. I never I never erased the simon ever. The simon is never erased. <speaking in Hebrew> the Gemara says in every one of this nation there's simonim. They're called simonim. The identifying signs of the Rebbeinah shelolam, Rachmanim, Bashannim, Gaimle Khasadim, compassion, an inner shame, an inner humility, an inner sense of generosity. There's a simment. there's there's simmens. The mark of God is, is the, the simmon of who a person is is everywhere in every cell, in every neuron, in every organ, in every limb, in every tissue. In every aspect of the person's body and the aspect soul you could see my trace you could see my Simon and then hashif teshivim lachicha you could restore it Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to